In the last number of years, there has been a, a massive uh, kind of expansion, a reintroduction to the world of heroes, but specifically superheroes. And each of us thinks of these, these th- different things when we consider heroes, but, but somehow the stories, um, they awaken in us an, an excitement and, and they allow our minds to kind of drift and to wander. And growing up, for me, it was always Spider-Man. Spider-Man for me, for me was always my favorite superhero. I loved Spider-Man. I loved him drawn in the comic books into these amazing poses that somehow he could get into. And, and, I, and, I, and I enjoyed watching the animated TV series. But these action figures, when you get them at the beginning, they are always so rigid. They're so hard to move. And you go, how do I play with them? But, but as a child plays, they add imagination to them. And when you add your life and you add your creativity, when you animate them with how you play, then all of a sudden, these hard plastic things can move and, and they flow and they jump and they fly and they twist and they turn with great ease and they are fun. And if you were to imagine yourself as an action figure, that might help you to consider what it is to come to life in this way. All of our stiffness and uncomfortableness can be transformed into movement and possibility. We are unable to have that significant movement on our own. We're just held back. But when we are infilled, when we are animated by the Spirit of God, we become empowered and truly come to life. The concept for this series will tie in and it's going to overlap with a series that we did a couple years ago called The Gifted. And it's also going to tie back to a series that we did last year in July, well, June and July, called Playlist. And I was just listening this week again to one of the songs that we featured or, or uh, focused on, highlighted last year, called Something Just Like This. And if you can remember that, uh, that, that song and the story that we told around it, it continues to inspire me. It continues to motivate me. It, uh, it gets inside. And so we're going to try and put some of those concepts together over the next couple of weeks and bring them forward. You don't have to know those things, but I'm just telling you that they are linked in that way. So today, I want to ask you this question that we can think about together. What is a hero? That's the question that comes up as we anticipate that next movie or we read those various news stories that come up. The word gets thrown around a lot. And and yet, I think there can be very large discrepancies with what different people see as heroes. But maybe just being a hero is not what we think it is. It's not so much about having superhero powers. Maybe... Maybe it's way more accessible than that. And I would imagine that that what unites us all is that we don't feel like heroes. Very few of you woke up this morning thinking that this is the day for making the heroic happen. And and you thought as you were getting dressed this morning, just in case, I'm going to slip into my superhero underwear, right? You never know for sure, but today might be the day that I'm going to need superhero underwear. Well, when there is an incident that the media describes as heroic, and when they interview the person afterwards, and the, the person that they're venerating, they say, like, what, what happened? And what was that? And what went on there? And why, why did you do what you did? And what do you think enabled you to do what no one else was doing? The person being interviewed is almost always so reluctant to have that word attached to themselves. Hero? What, me? No, no, I don't think so. No, 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 I'm not a hero. And in fact, we don't, we haven't worked on the concept of what's the opposite of a hero. 
And I don't think the opposite of being a hero is being a coward. I think it's really just being an average person. The average Joe or Josephine. At some level, we are all just reluctant. If, if we were to become heroes, we would all assume that we would be unlikely heroes. We are the kind of character that in the movies, the camera just sort of pans over because we are the mild-mannered, we are the unassuming, we are the unlikely. And we see ourselves this way because we all know how human we really are. We know the whole story and not just the highlight reel that sometimes we want to portray. May 22nd, 2017, there was a tragic bombing in Manchester at the Ariana Grande concert. And at that concert, there was a guy named Chris Parker. No relation to Peter. Uh, He looks very different than Spider-Man. He looks very different than Batman. He's not your first thought when you think of a hero, but he did something quite heroic. As soon as the bomb went off, he was just outside the concert venue, and he he heard the bomb, and, and he saw the flash, and he could hear screaming. And after hearing all of those sounds and seeing those things, those danger signals, he ran into the arena. While everyone else is pouring out, he fought to push and shove to get his way in. In some ways, it was like the, the other story of Desmond Doss. Do you know the story of Desmond Doss from Hacksaw Ridge? Another guy who went back into danger to save somebody else. But Chris Parker ran inside and he grabbed one lady, brought her out. She didn't make it. But he ran back inside. He grabbed another young girl who had been injured in the leg. And as the story unfolded, it seems like he actually did save her life because the injury was more severe than they thought. She would have died if she wasn't helped because of his courageous act to to go in and carry her out. And when the Manchester Evening Gazette interviewed Chris Parker, they're the one who took this photo, when they asked him, well, how does it be, how does it feel to be a hero? He answered like most of us might. He said, I'm supposed to be a hero but I'm not a hero. I'm just a normal guy, just a normal, regular guy who ran into the arena that night all because I heard kids screaming. Later on, he goes on to say, I just did what anyone else would do. It's a line that we hear repeatedly from people who are accused of being heroes. So what is a hero? What does it mean to be a hero today? I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be faced with uh, the decision of having to turn and and, and to run back into danger. So hopefully being a hero is, is more than just running into danger and risking your life in the most immediate of terms. Certainly, some people who risk their lives are heroic. But what does it look like for you? What does it look like for me, average people? Can we be heroes? And the word itself is is interesting. It comes from Greek, as so many words do. It's the Greek term for demigod. Demi meaning partial, uh, not full, half of a god. Now, doesn't that sound like it can be a very interesting definition for what a hero is? This is what the word means. A hero is someone who doesn't have it all together. Qualified. Doesn't have it all figured out qualified. 
Someone who's just doing the best that they can. Someone who has just enough. Then somehow, in some way, God allows people through this person to be part of some kind of transcendent experience of God himself. That little girl who ran into Chris Parker or Chris Parker ran into the little girl, however it worked out, that he carried her out. I think that she might have looked at Chris Parker like an angel. And I would imagine that she felt like God himself intervened on her behalf through Chris Parker. Now, you probably have your own story uh, telling uh, how someone did something heroic for you, changed your life, set you up in a new way. And when the story comes out like that, and the, and the definition is what it is, maybe we're just like demigods, not, not trying to become God, clearly, but maybe we have the opportunity to take what we have and offer it up. Then somehow, let God use it to allow other people to experience something that transcends regular life. Here's a definition that I see in the, in the Chris Parker story or kind of in any heroic moment, see, heroic moment. So see if this works for you. Heroes see what everyone else sees, but they choose to do what no one else does. There's something in what they do that's counterintuitive. There's, there's something that's swimming upstream, this doing a little bit different than most folks. That's just what heroes seem to do. They see what others see, but somehow... They are not content to do what everyone else does. No, they, they choose to do something different. And I hope what we can all discover is that the most unlikely people make the most likely heroes. So if you feel unlikely, if you feel like you are lost in the crowd, if you feel like you, you don't stand out, if you feel like you might just be the mild-mannered one in the background. I believe that the most unlikely people can make the most likely heroes. In reality, I think uh, very rarely does the hero start the day feeling like a hero. So even if you don't feel like a hero today, if you don't feel like a hero right now, that does not mean that you lack the potential to become one. And over the next couple of weeks, we are going to look at some specific applications of your action figureness. What would it look like for us to be a hero to someone else? Not a hero to you, a hero to someone else. There's a relationship side to that. And I think that there's really no better way to start than to ask, why is it that unlikely people make likely heroes? So to move us in that direction, uh, I, I, we're going to take a, a study. We're going to do a profile of a character from history that everyone is aware of, no matter how poorly you did in history class. No matter what your faith background is, everyone seems to know the name Moses. Moses has, has had so many movies made about him that they continue to highlight the fact that he was an unlikely person for God to choose. Moses was born in a time um, in Egypt when Pharaoh had just issued a decree that every male that, uh, that was born, or at least every firstborn, needed to be sacrificed, killed off to control the growing slave population. So Moses' mom did something notable. She did something heroic. She put little baby Moses in a basket 
and floated him down the Nile River. And someone from Pharaoh's home, someone from Pharaoh's direct family actually found Moses and gave him a place. They gave him a home. They gave him a way to be raised in Pharaoh's own palace. And as Moses grew up, he had to have been a little bit different. He, he, he wasn't just the same as everyone else because he couldn't hide his ethnic background. He was an Israelite growing up as an Egyptian. There was a moment when he became an adult where he saw someone uh, being mistreated by an Egyptian commander. And Moses responded and he killed that person. And because of the shame that he carried, because of the regret of his mistake, he did what so many people have had to do. He went back home. He ran from where he was, and he went back home. And you can't read this story without thinking about people who have had to move back home. And maybe that's you. It's certainly been me. That's a part of my story. Maybe you have to live at home again. Or maybe you're hosting someone living at home again. And none of you are proud of it. You're, you're not excited about it. But I think that there's good news today. That didn't stop God from using Moses. God went on to use Moses in some absolutely amazing ways. So we're going to pick up the story. We're going to jump in at Exodus chapter 3. So you can follow along the screens on your notes there. You can use your own Bible if you would like. You can do that. Starting in chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. Now this has got to be just a little bit fascinating for Moses. He's not in the middle of a busy, exciting day. He's tending sheep. This is not a busy time. He's got time to look at this. The bush seems like it's on fire, but the bush is not burning up. And no doubt he began to feel like he was having a hallucination of some sort. Maybe too much sun on his head. Or maybe it was that poppy seed bagel he had this morning. It did seem to have an awful lot of poppy seeds on it. The bush is burning, but not burning up. So Moses did what everyone else would do today. He got out his phone and he started to video this, right? And he goes, but I can't see it from here. I got to move a little closer before I can throw this thing up on YouTube. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? And in doing that, Moses ended up having a conversation with God. God himself spoke to Moses through the burning bush. Now, if that feels too weird for you, let me just preface that. We just came through Easter, right? So my starting point in all of this Christian stuff is that I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We call that the resurrection. And, and Jesus believed and he treated this story of Moses as true, as significant. So since I believe Jesus and I believe in his resurrection and I believe what he said and taught, well, God speaking through the burning bush, that's not a problem for me. But if this is your entry point, if this is your first part in, I can totally understand why you might feel a little bit incredulous at this. 
But, but I don't have to have Moses falling and hitting his head to explain this. That's such a movie thing. And that's what they did in the last movie again. He slips, he falls, he hits his head, then he sees this. That's not my entry point into the supernatural. And so I believe that God can do that. I don't know why he did it, but why is not the key to the story. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Let's just pause there for a moment. When I think about the stories that are around us, the people that I know about, that might be where you are today. Maybe you are suffering. Maybe you're paralyzed with doubt. Maybe you're paralyzed with fear. Maybe you're paralyzed by depression. Maybe it's uncertainty. And you feel like you have prayed and prayed and you have asked God to intervene or to take it away. Do something. And it feels like he's silent. You have to know that many of the Israelite people had prayed a prayer similar to that, similar to yours. And for whatever reason, at this point, God had not moved in a way that they had seen on their behalf. It didn't mean that God wasn't listening. And it didn't mean that God wasn't paying attention. Even if it feels that way. So for me, I can find a lot of comfort in the fact that God said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. You have a God today who I believe sees your suffering. He hears your cries. He is concerned. And even though you cannot see what he has done for you yet, that does not mean he is not going to do anything. So the account continues. Drop down to uh, verse 10. So now go. I'm sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And I would imagine upon hearing that, that Moses would need a minute or two to shake off what had just happened. <laughs> He's just been in a conversation with a burning bush, right? And so he's got to think to himself, so what do I do with this? This experience that I've just had, it's incredibly memorable. Do I tell everyone this totally sweet story? Or do I tell no one about that time in the desert? Moses has got to be sitting there. Tell the wild story of how God talked to me through a burning bush. Or listen to what God said through the burning bush. Go off to Egypt. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Crazy option number one. Or ramp it up to crazier option number two. Because I don't think there's any way to describe these things that doesn't feel like crazy. So his instinct is, exact, is exactly like mine. Probably yours. He goes, let me think about it. No. Sorry, God, your research is off, all right? Not this guy. Perhaps you forgot. I am living here, nowhere near the palace, because I'm hiding to save my life from those people that you want me to go to. I've taken off, and now I'm hiding in my parents' basement. I'm playing Worlds of Warcraft, and I'm on a steady Doritos diet. 
I can't face the real world. I have not been in warrior training in quite some time. I have no Mr. Miyagi. I will neither be waxing on nor waxing off. Why could you possibly want me to go to Egypt? And so Moses, over the next few moments, it seems he generously provides God with some very good reasons to abstain from your trip. These excuses are interesting, and they're hilarious, and they're deeply connected to the way I feel, and maybe the way you feel too. So let's check out uh, Moses' excuses and then um, God's responses. God has unlikely responses to our likely reasoning. We're all unique. We're all different. We're all one of a kind. But many of the things that we feel, well, they're kind of standard issue. When we are connected... um, In this way, we see that these reasonings that we have are kind of universal. But God's responses to Moses' reasoning, I think think that they can give us a little bit of courage to become the hero that God may just be inviting us to become. So, excuse number one. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And when he's saying, who am I? It's not an identity crisis. It's it's more about him asking himself, do I have what it takes? Not who am I, but am I going to be good enough? Do I qualify in some way? God, I'm not exactly at the prime of my life right now. Most people would kind of say that I'm on the down and out. And God responds, I will be with you. And Moses, I'm not really all that concerned about whether or not you know who you are or what you are. Because what is more important and more immediate is this. I will be with you. And maybe Moses thought, I I don't have the position that someone might need to accomplish what you're asking. I I don't have the position to take on such a calling, such an invitation, such a command. But I find God's response to be quite encouraging because I believe God's presence can overcome all of my imperfections. The same thing was true for Moses that can be said of you. God's presence with us can actually overcome, overshadow, overwhelm all of our imperfections. All the things that are wrong with me, all the things that I do not have, Next excuse, Moses gives to God. He says, Moses says to God, suppose, all right, suppose, as if God has not considered um, some eventuality, right? God, let me just throw out this idea that you probably haven't considered. I know you've got a lot on your mind, God. You've probably got a lot to take care of. Couldn't work through all the down low details, the nitty gritty. Suppose I go to the Israelites. Let's just back this up a minute, God, okay, for just a second. Let's forget about those Egyptians, all right? Forget about them. Forget about Pharaoh. Just think about the amount of courage that it's going to take for me to go to my own people. Suppose I were to go to the Israelites. And I'm not saying that I'm going to go, but just suppose, you know, hypothetically. Imagine, God, if you will, that I go to the Israelites. And I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. What if I go? And they ask me one simple question. Not the tricky stuff. Not, not the high level theolo- theology stuff. Just, well, what's his name? 
If, if I do that and, and they do this, then what shall I tell them? God, that question alone would stump me. And God's answer to Moses is, is so profound and is so powerful that I, that I approach it, frankly, honestly, with quite a bit of trepidation. I don't have the ability to explain with as much impact as it needs. I don't have the persuasion. I, uh, I don't have the words. Uh, I don't have the intelligence, the, the, the craft to explain this for all of what it's worth. God, for the first time ever, tells us, he tells his people that gets passed down to us, he tells us his name. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That, that may be the most beautiful definition of God that he has ever given. I am. I am what? I am whatever you need me to be. I'm a father to the fatherless. I'm an encourager to the down and out. I'm a friend to the lonely. I am strength to the powerless. I am hope to the hopeless. I'm a deliverer to those who are in bondage. I am exactly who you need me to be. Maybe Moses thought, I don't have the power. I don't have the power to do what you're asking me to do. And God says, knowing I am is worth far more than knowing I'm not. So what do you focus on more? Your weaknesses or your strengths? Probably your weaknesses. Most of us do. I am quite well aware of my weaknesses. Maybe not all of them, but I'm aware of most of them. And I'm also aware of my strengths. It's like God was, was, was speaking to Moses and saying that it's very dangerous to think more highly of yourself than you ought. But it's also really dangerous to think more lowly of yourself than you ought. And he didn't, he didn't come to Moses and say, I know you have weaknesses, so I want you to go take an assessment. I want you to go out and buy a book. Go get yourself a powerful self-help book. Go ahead, learn your strengths, graph them, chart them, and then learn to love you for you. God doesn't say anything like that at all. He says your assessment of yourself is partially accurate, but mostly incomplete. You are right. You don't have a lot of power. But that does not ever stop me from asking you or inviting you or commanding you to step into this calling that I have laid out before you. Because I am, I'm who you are not. I am everything you need and I want to work with you. I want to be in partnership with you. You just focus on that. Worry less about what you're not. I know who you are. I know all about what you are not yet. But I want you to know all about the I am. Moses comes back. He's, he's tenacious. Excuse number three. Moses answered, 
But what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Sounds great, God. You know who you are. I am that I am. Looks like you're taking care of God. But what about me? But what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say that the Lord did not really appear to you? Then what God did is fascinating and alarming. He took what was in Moses' hand. Hey, Moses, what's in your hand? He goes, my staff. And then through this staff, over the next several years, God would explain, God would display, uh, God would show uh, Moses uh, his power and, and remind him again and again of the partnership between Moses and God all through his staff. This staff is the reminder. So God says, okay, Moses, you're correct. That is your staff. Throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground. And it turns into a snake, which at that point, I would be running as fast as my Birkenstocks would take me. Whichever direction is opposite, that's where I'm going, right? I don't know what kind of personal fears you've got or what you're like, but I'm kind of with Indiana Jones on this one. Me and Indy, we agree. We don't like snakes. And maybe for you, when God said that, throw down your staff, it would have turned into a big tarantula. Or, or maybe it's a ferocious dog. Or worse yet, maybe it's your taxes. But for whatever it is, it seems that it's something that he would be naturally wary of. Something scared of, and for good reason. Because of where he's living, because of where he's working, and he's way out in the desert, so far from help. Then God tells him, now pick up the snake. And Moses is doing so much better than I would be doing at this part. Because Moses reached down. And we have no record of, of him asking how to pick it up. Or what happens if I pick it up. Or is, is there some other way that we can accomplish what you would like us to accomplish. Or more, why do I need to pick it up? Moses reaches down. He picks up the snake. And the snake turns back into his staff. Now, just as a side note, Moses, you might want to watch that staff a little bit more closely from now on, particularly at night. Right? You don't want that snake thing just appearing. That was a joke for me. Uh, just a, a really simple visual reminder, a lesson from God to Moses about who has the power. Moses, for, for whatever reason, felt like he didn't have the position. He felt like he didn't have the power. But it seems like he's also saying to God, God, I don't have the skills. God, I'm not a leader. I'm not an upfront kind of person. I don't have a very good past. I don't, I don't know that I have the organizational ability to do what you're asking me to do. So let me ask you, is that the way you feel today? Where you can say quite honestly, I don't have the position. I don't have the power. I don't have the skills. So here's my question. If God is not concerned with what I can't do, should I be?
That's a rhetorical question, and I think that the answer is no, not really. God is not surprised by it. You're not revealing something to him. God is not concerned by it. God knows your limits, your limitations. He knows your weaknesses. He knows you. Moses keeps going. Excuse number four. His next response. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since we have spoken, since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I don't speech good like God. As my my son Finley likes to say, hey, do you even English, bro? Um, But God's response is great. He asks him some very penetrating, very revealing questions. So the Lord says in verse 11, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is I, the Lord. Am I not the one who designed, built, and installed your mouth? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God, I don't have the position. God, I don't have the power. God, I don't have the skills. And I definitely don't have the words. And God is still not surprised by any of that. I know what you don't have, but I want to let you know that your weaknesses are not actually weaknesses like you think of them. Your weakness sets the best stage for God's strength. If God wanted someone without weaknesses, he could have chosen Bruce Wayne, and not you, not me. He says, I know that you have weaknesses, but that's why I have chosen you. I want to make Your weakness, the stage for my strength. I want to work in partnership, and I want you to know in this partnership that I value you for you and not just for what you can do. So I think that God might very well be asking you today, will you step up and step out to be the hero right now? Moses kind of wraps the whole conversation up, much like you might be feeling right now as well. Verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) Moses was not all in on this partnership with God, right? Moses did not have the position, the power, the skills, the words, um, and all of those things to be a hero. But that was not an obstacle for God. Those things are not obstacles for God in choosing you either. God is not asking you to step out to be a hero because of your position or your power or your skills or your words. And those really are the pillars of what it means to be successful in the professional world, aren't they? All those things that we value. But they are not the secret sauce. They're not the magic ingredient for being successful in God's economy. God doesn't really need your position, your power, your skills, or your words. Moses ended up showing that he had something that was of far better, far higher value than any of that. It's the same thing that you and I might have as well. Moses wasn't eloquent, but he was available. 
He didn't have it all together. But Moses, although scared, chose to be willing. You too can choose to be willing. Right where you are. Right here. Right now. You can hold out your hands to God. You can say, God, I I don't know what this is going to look like because I don't have a lot going on. But if you would like to use me, I'm willing. And then I wonder what kind of form your life would begin to take on if that became your prayer on a regular basis. Despite what you believe or don't believe about God, what if you just opened up your hands and said, God, if you would like to use my life, I, I just want to let you know I'm willing. And I believe that every single one of us is going to be asked at some point to step up and to step out to do something that someone else might deem as heroic. And it might be something simple. It might have nothing to do with lifting a building. Perhaps a smile at the right time. Perhaps crossing the room to have a conversation with someone who needs it. Perhaps showing someone a little extra patience. Perhaps you need to bring some food to a food drive. Perhaps you need to step up and say, it's time for me to get baptized. Perhaps you need to sign up and get trained to be a care planner with Restore. I don't know what it's going to be for you. But I just know that it is not setting out to save the world from alien invasion. It's just, God, here's what I have. Please take it and do something to help someone else. Willingness. God can do a lot with willingness. The Holy Spirit of Jesus can animate and breathe life and power and beauty and strength and hope into willingness. Closed hands? No, God, not me. Never, never, never. That's when it seems like God just moves on. Well, then I'll just go find someone else. The resume of the person used by God is is rather mild-mannered. That resume seems quite unlikely. And if you feel like an unlikely hero, you're more than likely God would choose someone like you to use. So please do not write yourself off. God hasn't written you off. And I don't care how bad your background is, right? Moses is a murderer on the run. Willingness is the issue. God can work through anyone who is willing. He certainly worked through Chris Parker, whether Chris Parker realizes that or not. Maybe you can sense this growing in you. Heroes see what everyone else sees, but are not content to do what everyone else does. Is that you? Heavenly Father, just as a symbol of availability, of willingness, I want to open my hands out to you. God, I don't know what this looks like. I don't don't know what you may ask. God, there might very well be fear in me. (laughs) I know there's insecurity in me. But I don't want to live my life not knowing the thrill of being a hero for you. I don't want my whole life to pass me by and miss out on what it might look like 
to use the little that I have to help someone else, to help someone else experience you in a transcendent kind of way. God, I don't want to miss out on what it might look like for me to allow someone else to see you in me. So God, if you would like to use me, I'm in. Holy Spirit, animate me. Bring me to life. Empower me to be about your will, your work, and your kingdom. As grand as it might be, or as small as it might be, I just want to again say to you that I don't want to miss out on what you have for me and what you will do through me. I pray these things for myself, but I pray these for my friends that are here before me today. And I, and I, I believe that some will pray that along with me. They will ask the same thing of you. God, hear us. Answer our prayer. Use us well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. That's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And I believe that the more we connect, the better that it can get. As you go, I want to remind you that you don't just go as people. You go as the church of Jesus Christ. And where you go, I pray that you would take that church. And so I want to remind you that you are Christ-centered, that we are spirit-empowered, and that we are mission-focused. It's not something just for Sundays. And that mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time.